Welcome to Recox, the show where we learn how the world's best business operators build consumer brands from sourcing to selling. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and this past week we were at Shop Talk, which is one of the largest conferences focused on the future of retail. We were fortunate enough to chat with a few successful entrepreneurs while at the exhibit. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Manufactured. Manufactured is an online platform that helps brands manufacture, finance, and distribute inventory across 20 industries and 25 countries. Stick around after the interview where I chat with Pernay, the CEO of Manufactured, who shares his tips for building new products and operating successful brands. Our guest today is Dean Kelly, CEO of Gainful. Gainful is a personalized sports nutrition brand that unlocks your full potential. They are digitally native, but are launching at Target nationwide as well, which is incredibly exciting. I chat with Dean about how they approached personalization before he was involved with the company versus after he joined, how you balance lots of different product combinations since it's personalized, right? And scale, how they produce new products for Targets and the overall retail strategy and much, much more. This was such a fun conversation. Without further ado, here's Dean. Dean, thank you so much for joining me here today at Shop Talk. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing, man? Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time. So I know you're a serial entrepreneur. You were an executive of Jet.com, Walmart, Zola. How did you end up joining Gainful? I joined Gainful where uh, after a, a recruiter reached out to me uh, and he let me know that an incredible company and very early stage company that was doing very well was looking for a new CEO. The company was founded by two young, hardworking, very smart individuals straight out of college, and they'd built a company called Gainful, which was a personalized protein company. And they were looking for a, a new CEO. And I, the first thing that struck me was that you know, 25 year olds were sort of self aware enough to know that maybe that there were some other people who could you know build their company a little bit better than themselves. And Eric and Johanna, two of the as I said, two of the smartest, most hardworking, but but also humble and self-aware guys. And they thought we're onto something very, very big here. Why don't we find a CEO who's had some some relevant experience to really help us grow the business? So um, yeah, that's how that's how they reached out to me. That's awesome. What were some of like the learnings that you had since you were like the head of um, lean, like, lean, like the pets division? You were the GM of, of pets at, at Jet and also Walmart. That has really kind of like helped you as as CEO at a. Uh, Gainful. Yeah, I, I think the pet category, which I love, is a wonderful category. Um, but personalization within the pet category is critical. The more you know about someone's dog, the better experience that you can create for them over the lifetime of that animal. So personalization was big in the category. And as you know, uh, Gainful is about you know providing a personalized performance nutrition platform for customers. And the second thing is, is CPG. Obviously, as a category, the learnings that you get from CPG uh, can be sort of extended and uh, to different categories. The third thing is is working at a large retailer. You know, I sat with my in-stores counterpart at Walmart, and we heard brands pitch uh, about why they wanted to be in-store. And the main store counterpart at Walmart at the time, he he'd been there for a number of years, brilliant, and just the way he would sort of quickly assess whether or not a brand would work. I think I, I got a lot of learning out out of that. And then fourth, you know, running running the online part of the business. Really, we met a lot of brands who obviously sold both in store and online, and met a lot of teams at very large CPG companies and really learned what brands were doing well and not so well 
selling omnichannel. So all those experiences, I think, were sort of directly relevant, personalization, uh, CPG. Final thing is, is subscription. The pet category is a category that you want to get your customers on a subscription. You know, Gainful is a personalized performance nutrition platform, but we are a subscription. And the reason why is because Gainful is targeting users who want to be um, healthy and active for their entire life. You know, it's not a one-off weight loss to get get lose weight fast for a bachelor party in Vegas. This is about, you know, removing barriers to people feeling their best. And that doesn't happen overnight, unfortunately, as much as people would want it to. This is a lifestyle for people. So for us, the subscription makes sense. Saying that as we're in Vegas. Um, sure. So, <laughs> it sounds, when you think about personalization and scale, it sounds kind of contradictory because you are creating products for individuals based off how they filled out like a survey or a form. But at the same time, how do you actually think about scale for that? Because everything is so, like, how do you think about inventory in that way? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Um, and I think a lot of companies are sort of battling this and have in the past as well. So when Eric and Jahan started this company, they were individually mixing and matching every single order of protein. And customers could go online and actually say the exact ingredients in the exact quantities that they wanted it. And Eric and Jahan were, were in a basement mixing and matching over 600 different formulations. The problem, many problems with this. So one, most people don't know what they're doing. And as much as they think they do, the most dangerous people are the, like the people who know enough to think they're right but don't know enough to know they're wrong and that that happens in this category so what they were actually asking for they didn't really know what they were doing and that had some consequences one it didn't work two it tasted horrific and three this is not actually a category where you need 600 different formulations right but the learning was incredibly important, and it's very hard to do. The learning was incredibly important to land on the large number of formulations that we do have, um, but there's not 600 formulations. So that's how sort of Gameful started, and we landed on the largest number of formulations that were uh, you know, um, efficacious for as, as the largest number of people. So that, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is this is a category where I mean, personalization has built multi-billion dollar companies in different categories, and yet it hasn't yet in personalized, in performance nutrition. Yes. And this is a category where there is so much confusion and, and distrust about the ingredients and no one can pronounce their name and things are called wartime ignition, C4, muscle jack. And so this category has already got so much sort of... Um, not calling out brands, but but no, no, but no, no, no. I, I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean, I didn't mean to do that. Actually, C three, call it C three, um, not C four. But look, this is a this is a category that's that's been overwhelming in the past. Um, and what we actually tried to do was, if the only value we gave to a customer was cut through the thousands of brands that exist out there that are causing the confusion, and made that experience a little bit better and right for them, that would already be a really big company. So yeah. just getting the right person to the right product. But the thing is, if you're an elite athlete, everything you get is customized. Everything you get is personalized. The nutrition, the training, the hydration, the recovery, the supplements, et cetera. It's per and, but it's personalized because it works. It works better. And so not only are we getting providing value by getting the right person to the right product, but it works because it's made for them and they're less likely to stop using it because they're more likely to see progress, etc. The way though we think about how much, how detailed and yeah. how much personalization we should go through, 
sure, there is an element of scale. How do you scale something? If you right. have too many suits or if you are individually customizing every single formulation, you need to have sort of be vertically integrated and that comes with significant costs. And I outlined before that's not necessarily what you need in this category. There are some some companies out there and I think that this is this likely the future where you can spit into something or they will send you a, a blood kit to be able to send blood away. You know, that is right now for a few things with this. One, a very niche customer is interested in, in that level of, of, of personalization. Mm. Two, unfortunately, what often happens with the out, outcome of that test is you should take vitamin D. Right, like a very generic solution to the outcome of a pretty invasive test. And three, the product that they're sending you is often very, very expensive. So you have a generic product that's being recommended to you that's very, very expensive, and you've actually made it hard for a customer to get a solution for them. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to enable personalization by online, a pretty detailed quiz that's been formulated by our science advisors from the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings, but it's very palatable to get people to the right product, et cetera. And in store, and we can talk about more, more of this later, it's even, it's even easier to get customers to the right product. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. When, when you think about personalization, so it seems like when you join the company, obviously like the two founders were kind of packing or just doing everything personal for every single person, which of course doesn't really scale. Um, how do you think about in terms of the actual, like in terms of like how detailed personalization is that it can still reach quite like a broad kind of set an audience where it actually makes sense to kind of keep it as a skew, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that it does make sense. Look, I think what's important to sort of point out, Mike, is that we don't only see personalization as the product itself. Right? So personalization is not the, only the product, it's the product, sure, and the ingredients that this customer receives, but it's the personalized product, it's the quantity, it's yeah. the frequency, it's the education and the content that we provide them, it's the access to the registered dietitian, it's how we speak to them. So if you're an elite athlete that lands on our platform and you know a hell of a lot about this category and you're well into the stage of your journey that you are and you are, you are sort of monitoring your glucose levels, et cetera, your experience on our platform is very different to if you're a first-time yeah. male or female yogi who just wants to recover and take some collagen and, and and feel feel much better, right? So, And then your access to your registered dietitian that you get in Gainful for free is completely personalized, right? Once you check out and you've spoken to your registered dietitian, the education, the content that you get if you're looking to build muscle versus if you're looking to stay lean, et cetera, is different. So we see personalization as an end-to-end -end journey where most customers, all customers can get to the end of the, their experience with Gainful and go, wow, that was, that was for me, right? So in yeah. that way, we don't need to think that the only way we can make a customer feel personalized is if we take their blood and we have 6 billion formulations. Yeah, no, 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 that's helpful. I think that that's also what's, I think, brilliant in terms of that since it's obviously personalizes because once you kind of develop the formula for that customer, the hope is obviously they're subscribers. So they're going to keep going and going and going. And so like they're, the actual kind of average order value for the customer actually can be quite large. It's not just like we're going to create this one mix just for this person and then let's it's like a one-done shop. So it actually makes a lot of sense to actually invest yeah, exactly. The other thing that sort of drives personalization on our platform is we started as a personalized protein business. And when I joined, sort of Gainful was always going to be so much more than that. A personal performance nutrition platform 
We launched personalized hydration, personalized pre-workout, and those products are tailored to individuals based on their exercise type, intensity, and sweat levels, etc. We also launched collagen, fiber, and creatine boosts, and those products themselves are not personalized, but who we target is. So we're not a CPG company. We're a consumer company that's driven by data, and the data we have sort of gives us an unfair advantage. We know so much about our customers, and we can personalize them with the, new, the products that we are launching and tell them why it's relevant for them or not relevant for them, and that's why we don't do it. So for us, you know, we've, we've on average, our customers almost buy three products from us, right? And so it's just seen AOV drive drive up significantly um, because we're selling customers a system, right, that is tailored to them and for them, which is different, and their experience is different to someone else. Are you vertically integrated, or do you use like uh, co-packers? No, not yet. Not yet. Um, okay, cool. And and that that's a question we may encounter uh, as, as we scale. But no, right now we're we're working with with co-manufacturers. How's that relationship going? Because I'd imagine it's like a lot of SKUs. You have it's obviously personalization. Like, well, what's that kind of relationship like with your co-packers? Yeah, th- this is a good question, and I think that we're quite lucky in that we have co-manufacturers who have been with us. The majority of them have been with us from day one. I think sort of testament to Eric and Jahan and the work they did in selecting our original co-manufacturers, they've been able to scale with us. But when we originally choose our co-manufacturers, we're not we're not just looking at them saying, can you do what we need to, you to do now? We want Gameful to be a multi-product, multi-category, multi-channel, yeah. multi-country platform. And we've wanted that from day one. So when we're looking at at manufacturers and co-manufacturers and 3PL providers, et cetera. One of the questions is, can they scale with us? And from day one, we knew that we wanted to sell sort of sell online, but then in retail, et cetera. And so, so we always wanted to make sure that they could scale with us. But there are some manufacturers who are less able to do that, or there are some co-manufacturers that specialize in a particular area. We had to change our 3PL for a few reasons, Um, especially during COVID, we were working with a 3PL that had one location. And when you're working with one location, if someone got COVID, then everyone got COVID and then all of a sudden you didn't have a 3PL. You you couldn't ship your products to anyone. So we needed to sort of make sure we were de-risking our business. And we also wanted to make sure that our customers across America received a great experience. You know, like if you lived near the 3PL, you were getting your products pretty quickly. If you didn't, you weren't, et cetera. So it's a balance of stage, ability to scale, uh, number of locations, and sourcing. You know, this, this is a category where sourcing over the last sort of couple of years has, has really been tough. And we may get into this later on, but it's been tough. So the right co-manufacturers are one very good at delivering exactly what you need to do right now, but two, working with you to innovate. Some of that innovation is not only for the future and what new products in new categories, but reformulations. Now, the last couple of years has been cost of sort of uh, creatine and whey, et cetera. You know, the raws have gone up 8x, 7x. And yeah, it's been really tough. And organic pea protein, et cetera, if it, if it doesn't rain somewhere, then all of a sudden you don't have it. So really, it's, it's can you work with your co-manufacturers on reformulations as these costs of raws increase exponentially and 
can you reformulate your product so it's still the exact same quality with the exact same taste but potentially different ingredients or clean ingredients for a lower cost etc so even though the costs in this category have increased exponentially over the last year we managed to sort of maintain margin and not really increase our price because of working that close working relationship we have with our co-manufacturers so no no no, no, no it's helpful and like i've talked to entrepreneurs who said that we've kind of outgrown our manufacturers we have to get a new one and that's actually really, really hard it's really hard because you have to you know pick up everything and obviously you have to have a new manufacturer that, that is producing your product and so you have to change your entire supply chain for that the new person so Having a manufacturer, of course, you know your limits are going to be, or your your base is going to be quite high, since obviously they they're they're quite large. But at the same time, you're looking for for manufacturers that are able to like scale and grow with you. What ingredients specifically have been tough to source, and was an effect because of what's everything that that's been happening on the global supply chain crisis? Yeah, yes, is the is the answer to that. So over the last sort of you know a couple of years, access to whey has been very difficult. You would have heard for. You would have heard about, you know, baby food shortages yes. and stuff, et cetera. Yeah. So I think that was really driven by people wanting to be healthier, right? And uh, I also, it was very hard to sort of get access to it. And, and it's a commodity, so the price increased exponentially. And the rules behind creatine were really, really tough. We had some problems sourcing, you know, organic pea protein as well, primarily driven by climate issues. So every day you got to deal with something. I remember our COO, who is phenomenal, he was a GM at, at, at Walmart um, that's been working with Game for the last couple of years. And one day he woke up and he told me that one of the trucks that was carrying all the roars caught on fire. So we lost that, right? Like these sorts of, yeah, these sorts of things yeah. you don't want to have to deal with in a day. Right? So there's some of the ingredients that were tougher to source. And, and for us, we want to make sure that we've got backup solutions. You know, we're not, do we work with our co-manufacturer to make sure that they've got a couple of options for the different different ingredients, et cetera, so... Cool. No, no, no. That's, um, that's really helpful. On our DC channel, how are you acquiring customers? Yeah. So not only um, are customers sort of in retail and in Target going to be different to the customers that are online, that's, so we're acquiring customers from partnerships such as Future, where people are getting access to a personal trainer and within you know, apps like the Exponential app. Similarly, you know, for us, Connected Fitness is a really interesting place to acquire customers for our online platform because there are a lot of players in this performance ecosystem that are leveraging data to provide fitness we and training. We use data to provide personalized nutrition. The thing is, is that if you get off your tonal or if you get out of your rumble or if you get out of your soul cycle class or, and, and your nutrition is bad, there's no way you're going to get to your goals. Similarly, if you want to maximize your time on a hydro, you should be taking something before, during and after. And you know, a lot of these brands want to actually provide nutrition to their customers as well. So you know, we're really exploring sort of partnerships within the connected fitness space to be able to bring personalized nutrition you know, to their customers. I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense because then you get more data. You can then better serve your customers. They're then, they're then way more happy. So That's exactly um, right. Imagine you jump on a connected fitness device and you say, I want to build muscle and I want to lose weight and I work out in the morning. We can use that data to be able to personalize nutrition and then they can, sort of that connected fitness company can then feed that data back to continue to personalize the training, et cetera. So recently, I mean, like, today or yesterday, like you like went into Target nationwide, which is um, incredible. Congratulations. That's just incredible. Why did you decide and how did those conversations kind of happen for you to go nationwide in Target? Obviously, that is a huge commitment as well, because I know that, you know, online, you were, I think you were primarily selling your products online, you know, with, with your purchase subscription. 
Why did you decide that going nationwide in Target was the right move? Yeah, so we are really, really very excited. I've got goosebumps all over while I sit in this chair thinking about this. So as you said, before yesterday, Gainful was a purely D2C business. But before I joined Gainful, one of the sort of thoughts I had was, could this product sell in retail? Is there an experience that could exist within retail to help customers, you know, make their own gain? And could we provide something in retail which removed the barriers to people feeling their best? And and before I joined Gainful, you know, I wanted to join, I was sort of very fortunate to have a number of CEO opportunities. And and one of the reasons I chose Gainful is because I did think that this was a, a brand that could expand into retail. And that was also leveraging my sort of experience working at, you know, the largest retailer. So, so that was why I joined. But how we thought about our expansion into retail is a few ways. So to date, our customer is a is a relatively active customer. You know, we've got everyone from the US Olympic diving uh, team using our product. I remember I interviewed someone for our social media position and I said to him, how do you know Gainful? And he had a US Olympic diving team on his CV. And I said, he goes, I use your product. You know, the 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 our team was using your product because we couldn't get uh, whatever nutritionists within our team. And so we started using Gainful because this was the closest thing. So we've got everyone from the US Olympic diving team using our product, elite athletes, um, right through to people running up and down the West Side Highway. So, you know, to date, Gainful's always targeted a more active, more knowledgeable customer that pretty much knows this category and what they're doing. They're looking for a, for a solution. We see our expansion into retail as the first opportunity, the first time we're really putting Gainful in front of 80% of Americans, the majority of who are less familiar with this category. And, you know, they're walking through the aisles shopping for their for their family or themselves, et cetera. And they've got to stand in front of a wall of protein and have no idea what to do. And a wall of hydration, no idea what to do. A wall of creatine and, and and no idea what to do and why this product is for them. So we saw our expansion into retail as the first opportunity we had to put our brand in front of sort of those people and provide them a better experience, sort of to make their own gain. So that's how we thought about it. So a different customer, right? And that customer who wants hardcore personalization, the product, the education, the content, the access to the registered dietitians, et cetera, that customer is, is still going to be online and we will continue to develop that digital platform where we will integrate with sort of uh, data providers, you know, whether it be Apple Watch to get real-time data to be able to personalize nutrition and also see when people are working out and tell them, you know, you should hydrate now, et cetera. So that online platform is, is for a different customer, we think. The reason why we chose Target specifically, and we did choose Target, when Function of Beauty launched, are you familiar with yeah. Function of Beauty? Yeah, 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 of course. You know, when Function of Beauty launched uh, their experience within Target, the way they launched that experience was exactly how we had pitched our retail launch six months before that to the VCs who actually led our Series A. You know, we pitched this experience, which is this concept of steps, right? Like I'm going to stand in front of, you know, an end cap and an experience and I'm going to be able to choose my base protein and I'm going to choose my flavors. Then I'm going to be able to add my goal boost, whether it be build muscle, lose weight, recover. Maybe one day we'll have bone health or prenatal or whatever those things are. And then that's what we pitched sort of six months before that Function of Beauty launch. And then six months later, when Function of Beauty went live in Target, it was exactly that, which was step one, choose your base hair care product. Step two, choose your 
boost, whether I don't, I'm going to be very, very naive here and like maybe base is curly hair or straight hair or, and then your boost is, I don't know, matte or shine. And then they had your fragrance, but you know what I mean? So you would combine these three things and you would shake and it was an incredible experience and it did very well. And that was exactly the sort of innovation that they were bringing into that category that we wanted to bring into the supplement category and, and, and into the health aisles. And they did it with a group called The Stable. And I was sort of very lucky. And at the time, I, I sort of knew some very senior people working uh, at, at both of those companies. And, and we actually thought, you know, in the middle of last year, this is actually a pretty good time for us to put Gainful into stores. The D2C platform is growing very, very nicely, very rapidly. And we just passed a million orders, you know, on our platform. And so we had a brand that people knew and could would walk into sort of a retailer and say, it does this, does this brand exist in here? Obviously, acquiring customers gets difficult online as well as it gets more expensive, etc. And going to retail is huge brand awareness. We've got a category of customers who, you know, you're either an elite athlete or you're an exercise extrovert in that you're working out in Barry's boot camp or or uh, rumble, etc. Or you're so, like a, a busy person who's working really hard, but you also like working out. But we do have a newbie category as well. You know, people who are who are younger. They've they've gone to college and they never were an athlete in college, and they never worked out. And all of a sudden, sudden they've joined a corporate, and they don't really know what they're doing, and everyone's working out. Or you're of an age where you've uh, you know you suddenly lose a friend to a heart attack, and you thought, hang on a second, what? Like this happens to people at this age. I need to get fit. You don't know what to do. And some of these people are hard to find. And we thought, look, let's now put our product in front, our brand in front of these people. So we thought now is a great time to expand into retail. And the reason why we deliberately chose Target is because we have seen the way they represent brands within stores and they do a really, really good job of allowing that brand to be true to to what makes them different. And for us, customization and personalization is a really important part. It, it is a very important part of what we do. And the idea of launching one product and putting it on a shelf, it's not aligned to Gainful and what we're trying to do. Everyone is different. There are a number of brands out there, and, and I won't name any of them, that are making truckloads of cash by having one one product and saying, this one product is right for absolutely everybody. Throw away everything that you've ever used in the past and just use this one product. We're very different to that. We believe that everyone is very different and therefore everyone deserves a personalized approach to nutrition. So in order for us to sort of display that within a four-wall concept, we needed to have a large number of SKUs. And we needed to be able to have a large number of SKUs for protein SKUs or flavors or goal boosts or hydration and and pre-workout SKUs, et cetera, to be able to sort of step customers and allow them to choose what was right for them. And that's part of your mission too, right? Exactly, exactly. So right now we launched with 11 products in Target nationwide. And I think that Target right now have a, a real big focus on care and health and wellness and Gainful is exactly that. And when we partnered with with Target, they were all in here. This is exactly what we want for our customer. We want them to have an individual experience when they're within our stores. You know, every customer is different and, and Gainful allows them to do that too. It's helping customers just feel better. You know, if you're, if what it means to you is is to gain something by winning a gold medal or just feeling great and chasing your kids, you know, everyone like making gains means something very different for everyone. And, and that's what we're doing. We're allowing different people across the U S to make their own gain. And so 
every they've given us end caps and they've given us tables and and we're on sort of health landing pages and target.com home pages and they've been so supportive of of what we're trying to do and it's it's aligned to their mission and we just thought that they would allow us to be the brand that has made us so successful to date in store and really aligned to our vision. So they're giving us opportunities to be on a wellness table, et cetera. And so that's not to say there aren't other great retailers out there, but I think that, you know, as our launch partner, Target has been Target has been phenomenal. And the way that we have built the model, we can expand SKUs. You know, we can have a lactose-free uh, protein. We can have more flavors. We can have more gold boosts. We can have different personalized hydration and pre-workout. And, and Target has really sort of supported that idea of growing us within their stores. So that was why we chose Target. How do you think and approach retail pricing versus D2C pricing? Obviously, D2C, it's subscription, retail, different story. What do you think about like some of the differences um, there? Because I've talked to some investors that say, you know, when they're investing, they say, hey, we like love this brand. They're doing really well at D2C. But they actually like, like their margin profile actually doesn't make sense to go into wholesale. And they've kind of priced themselves out of wholesale. How are you thinking about just overall pricing? Yeah. And this again is where um my experience and and particularly you know Brian's experience who's our COO who who really drove this project within within Gainful is and as I mentioned to him that uh, to you sorry earlier he yeah. was the GM of a large category at, at Walmart is where we could lean upon that experience which is these retailers know exactly who their customer is and exactly how much something needs to cost and exactly how much margin they need to make for this brand to make sense and quite often they go to try to find the brands that can do this to find a right product at a right price point at a right margin and sometimes they can't and that's why they sort of one of the reasons they launched private label for us we knew that we needed to have a product that was competitively priced. Uh, we also knew it's a, it was a slightly different customer in retail. So, you know, we that was the first thing that we discussed. And we were lucky and we were fortunate to be able to work with the, the target team on this, which is, you know, at about what price point should this experience be? And our, our goal is to not just sell people protein, right? Like it's you want to be able to sell a protein and you need to put a flavor boost in there. While some people love unflavored protein, for us, our flavors are delicious and then they want to add gold boost. So we actually price this in a way that a combination of the protein with a high, uh, with a flavor stick and a gold boost was competitive against everything else that was on the shelf on a per-serving basis, right? So our pricing is, is competitive within Target and it's different to what we sell online because the product is actually different online. So, and that's, that's not something that's dissimilar to what a lot of brands do. You know, often they'll sell a different product or a different size or um, online or offline for it to make sense from a margin profile. How also do you think about maybe like SKU management regarding like Target versus like the D2C? Because D2C, it's kind of like all kind of customized, right? You have like a number of of um, of different ingredients that you put into each batch. These are kind of, you know, I hate using this word, but kind of like standardized. Maybe like even though it's a lot of SKUs, but kind of you have like your kind of standardized more so um, products. How do you think about that when it comes to actually like creating inventory and, and how much inventory you actually need to create? Yeah, that's... You know, for us, we wanted to land on enough SKUs in store for us to be able to provide an experience which felt different for each customer when they're standing in front of the shelf. And, you know, we we originally pitched 27 SKUs to Target. But to be honest with you, that was probably too many. Like, I remember Brian going, I can't do that. There's a lot of SKUs. And so how we thought about it is, one, can we actually do this? 
you know, and these are net new SKUs. We're using a lot of the same ingredients, et cetera. So we're very fortunate. What's different online versus in-store? In-store, the packaging is very different. You know, we're using sustainable cardboard tubes, et cetera, for our packaging. And so very important for Target, very important for us and very important for our customers. So one, what could we actually deliver in the, the period of time? Most brands spend about 18 months on their launch we started talking to Target in September. Wow. And they awarded our official business award um, at the end of October. And it happened so quickly. And we needed to be on shelf on March 26. So, fast. so uh, we've got a 22 person team. We've always liked to keep it lean. And, and um, we have a two person ops team. And we did not bring on board any new people for this launch. I think Brian's cardiovascular health has been impacted by it, but he's, he's still in high spirits. <laughs> which is wonderful, and Katie. So one, what could we do? How many could we produce in the time period that we had? Two, how many made sense to be able to provide a customized experience? And we had the option of potentially dropping some of the flavors, for example. Okay. And imagine if we only launched with one flavor or two flavors. Then most people would say, well, why don't you just sell a chocolate-flavored protein but why isn't the chocolate so it's almost more of an inconvenience if you have to add only one flavor so so that was a real driving factor um and then three how much we could we afford to hold you know and that again we worked very closely with the target team and the inventory planning team we can't say enough good things about them to be able to forecast and this this wasn't an easy uh, it wasn't easy to land where we did but we you know worked as partners where target would put forward their um their forecasts and we would say hey this actually doesn't make sense because you're trying to order too many flavor sticks for example yeah but the flavor sticks really only work if you buy the protein right so we right. had to actually work with them to communicate why this may or may not sense make sense for our brand and you know, we reduce some of the forecasts, et cetera, because the worst thing could be as an earlier stage business that's relying upon cash, especially in this environment, you know, you don't want to tie up all your all your cash in inventory. Um, so we needed to see what was a responsible amount of inventory that we could purchase um, for our stage as well as our cash position as well as for target forecasts. And also what other options do we have to be able to finance that in, that inventory, and and we're very lucky to have a a debt partner that allows us to sort of get access to to debt to be able to sort of not only finance um, yeah. the inventory because there are a lot of providers who do that, but to finance anything. So we're we're fortunate to be able to finance. We've been we've been managing gainful in a way over the last sort of you know two years very responsibly, so that uh, and we made we've made mistakes, but we've learned from those mistakes. Do you have any issues with dead stock or inventory that you're unable to sell? I wouldn't say unable to sell. I would say that there have been periods where you've potentially sort of thought that supply is going to be difficult and so you order a lot um, because you're worried about where it's next going to come from and this was earlier on for us and then you have a lot more stock and you're like, well, we need to sell this and that's when you sort of start looking at discounting, et cetera. But now, the only real real thing that we had was we launched a matcha flavor. You know, matcha? Am I saying that right? Matcha? matcha. It's my accent. Matcha? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah, yeah. Uh, matcha. <laughs> you're good. You're good. And matcha is one of those flavors that is very polarizing. You know, it's like yoga. You either It's like yoga. You either love yoga or you hate yoga, right? And um, no one does yoga a little bit because it's okay. So with matcha, it was a very polarizing flavor. And um, we've actually ended up discontinuing matcha. And we had... So many customers email us, all our matcha customers saying, 
oh my God, why are you discontinuing matcha, et cetera? So for us, it was this balance of, you know, uh, these are some of our best customers because they love matcha, but there's just not that many people across the country who love matcha. Yeah. And how do you sort of, you know, provide a personalized experience but also do what's right for your business. So that, that was all, you know, maybe the only example we had where we had some, you know, a big decision around that. No, that's great. Um, maybe another question too that I, that I didn't ask originally. Um, when you do have free working capital, how do you put that money to work and invest in growth? That's a big question to unpack. It's a balance, right? Like, you know, in the past, it's been all about growth at all costs. Yeah. And that was what, you know, companies were raising a lot of money, hiring a lot of people to hit crazy targets because they'd worked with their VCs to, to be able to justify those crazy valuations. And, and, and now it's different. You know, we, we've never done that, by the way. For us, we focused last year on hiring a, a much a better customer who was more likely to retain and spend a lot more money and, and you know, really worked on retaining that customer. So, you know, I think over the last year to year, no, last two years really, we focused on that. So we haven't set extremely aggressive growth targets with, with CACs that were unattainable. Um, so for us as a business, we've really focused on, on profitability, uh, uh, reducing CAC, hiring, uh, onboarding a customer who's more likely to spend a lot more money. And you know, our AOV has sort of grown 25% in the last year because we've attracted that customer. So yeah, from a focus perspective, we would rather invest in profitability, bring, bring sort of any sort of financing uncertainty um, and take control of that and bring sort of our financing to our own hands by, and, and we're lucky, you know, like, you know, with our retail expansion, we're, a, we're a profitable omni-channel business now. In summary, I guess, like, like finding the right balance of, of acquiring a customer that is likely to retain, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of money acquiring customers who use the product once and leave. Um, we also want to make sure that we've, we're investing in product development. We want to launch you know, personalized superfoods. We want to launch personalized sleep products. We want to launch, keep launching personalized performance nutrition products that remove barriers to people feeling their best. And our brand allows us to do that. You know, we're about the individual. So we want to make sure we've got enough cash to launch new products. Um, but we want to, you know, profitability is always key for us. Is there any category within maybe nutrition or maybe you um, have like experience, um, maybe you you launched this particular category or I appreciate the, uh, the matcha flavor example, but just wondering if you think that like the market maybe is too small for you to actually launch a product in it um, or, um, or, and, and kind of how you think about yeah, markets looks, just in general. When we're thinking about what new product uh, and new category we should go into, we always think about our customers first, you know, we're constant dialogue with, Hey, what additional products would you love gainful to provide you? So, um, that's something that we do. And part of the decision criteria for us is how big could this be? You know, um, how, how big a problem are we trying to solve for our customers? What does the competitive landscape look like for this? Can we launch a differentiated product and do it better? You know, provide a better experience for our customers. Does it make sense for the Gainful brand? And for us, we really think that, you know, we can go into anything that is, you know, you know, non-food really. And, and the reason why is because there are brands out there that are vegan brands. There are brands out there that are weight loss brands. Yeah. There are hydration brands. There are brands for athletes made by athletes. Um, there are female brands. There are male brands. 
for Gainful, we target the individual and, and that gives us the ability to launch a hydration product, a pre-workout product, a greens product, a sleep product, a, a meal replacement, whatever it is, because our brand allows us to do that. We can have a product that's right, you know, if you're keto or vegan or, or lactose-free, et cetera, but staying sort of doing it in a very prioritized way and making sure you're building the business case for every single new product launch, you can do it with great ingredients and guarantee supply, tastes great. You know, we make sure that we take all the things we can do and really focus on what we should do, which is which is obviously very different. Yeah, no, 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 that's great. That's great, totally. So my final question to you is, what would you prefer to have? $100 of your inventory or 100 bucks cash? $100 in cash, today especially. It's just optionality. You know, the option of where you spend that $100 um, and the other thing is, is we're actually starting to see a lot of cost relief in this category. You know, prices are coming, you know, costs are coming down as supply chain improves. And you know that I'd rather have the hundred dollars in cash right now. The optionality for me is is, is sort of where, yeah. Cool. Well, Dean, thanks so much for your time. This was a lot of fun. Excellent. Thank you. Appreciate you know you having me online. So thanks. It was such a pleasure chatting with Dean. If their products sound interesting to you, check it out on Gameful.com. Or if you're in the States, you should be able to find Gameful in a Target near you. So listeners, before we let you go, we wanted to give you some tips on how to help operate your business and learn how Manufactured is helping businesses. So we have Manufactured CEO, Pranay Srinivasan, who's CEO of Manufactured here on the line. Pranay, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for jumping on. So what do you see, Pranay, are some of the biggest challenges operators are facing relating to inventory? I think operators face three kinds of challenges at inventory. The first challenge is starting out when you don't know if the inventory you're actually investing in will sell through or not, is there demand for it? And I think a lot of validating demand gets uh, confused with vendor incentives, which is how many do I make? And I think, you know, dropshipping systems and AliExpress systems and Alibaba systems and off-the-shelf systems have done a lot to help people do this. And I think that there's a lot more work to be done here. Where can you build an authentically unique product without having to bet the farm and, and spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to validate whether that inventory will sell through or not? So I think that's the first challenge in a, you know, merchants and customers face uh, or brands face. I think the second challenge they face as they grow is underestimating demand and running out of inventory and then understanding where the balance is. So many people in 2020 thought that that was the new normal when COVID hit and there was all this printing of money and all these different incentives and everybody was at home doing nothing. And everyone thought e-commerce was going to be the future of everything. And so they went out and bought all this all this inventory and, and loaded up and thought 2021 would be the greatest year ever. And then the market fell out and crashed and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook pulled the rug under all the acquisition costs and the CAC went up the roof. And, you know, they quickly realized that there's, there's nothing steady in the world anymore. It's all choppy. It's all like heart waves, you know, sine waves going up and down. So one day you're good, one day you're bad. And so how do you actually navigate that? where one day you have unlimited demand and the second day you can't get rid of your inventory for three years, three months. And so that's the second challenge that they're facing. And then the third challenge I think uh, entrepreneurs are facing is at what point is it good enough for me to have more than one product that customers can identify with 
So I can actually acquire a customer once but make money three or four times on them. And that's basically product adjacencies. Am I being authentic with the product? Am I selling a basket of products? What am I doing there? And then how do I actually have inventory for my hero product versus inventory for my, you know, more boutique products or designer products, whatever you want to call it. I think those are the three core challenges that 90% of merchants face. And I think then everything stems from there. I think also if you throw in the fact that we've gone through over the past couple of years, this global supply chain crisis. So so everyone is is ordering way more inventory farther in advance. And then of course you have, you know, CACs uh, uh, getting out of control. And you have, of course, um, e-commerce penetration pulling back. And so you're really just sitting on loads and loads of inventory because you have to do, you're, you're planning far and far um, in advance as well. Yeah, and I think most people overpaid for inventory because freights were high and shipping was high and duty was high. I saw this funny story about a public company that tried to mark its earnings by saying, we basically would have been profitable if we paid 2022 freight prices instead of 2021 freight prices. Unfortunately, that's not how business works, right? If you paid a price, you paid a price, it's all done. And I think what's happening now is most people are realizing they have this really high cost basis of their inventory and you can get cheaper inventory now, but you bought inventory at such a high price and you kept thinking you would blow through it. Now you have to spend more money to spend through it. So now you've doubled the value of that. You've basically spent more money on that inventory and you're losing money on that. So not only do you have no money to buy new inventory at lower prices that you would be mildly profitable on, you've got this big overhang of excess inventory from bad years with the amount of money you need to spend to acquire customers to get them. That's decimating every single piece of free cash for you. Those are great points. And that's our episode for today. Thanks for listening to the whole thing, and I hope it was helpful. For more information about Manufactured, head to manufactured.com. It's also in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.